How's everybody feeling this morning? <laughs> mm. Guys, the joys of preaching this morning, eh? <laughs> anyway, mm. it was amazing. Get on with it. So, brothers, help yourselves. Take a plate, take some food, <laughs> except for you, Dan. Oh, okay. You're not allowed to help yourselves, okay. but the rest of you, please help yourselves. Let me pour some juice for you guys. You guys seem very awkward. It's very easy. Eat. I'm like, never had to fight with guys to go and eat food. There you go. Della, help yourselves. There's all sorts here. There's fruit. Don't forget the fruit. Check. They all just go for the meat. Typical boys. Dan, yeah. this is for you. Thanks, Pleasure. Enjoy. And I, and I got you some water as well. So you can just sit. You guys can, no, no, stay there. Drink some water. Eat some food. Don't worry about them. You'll never get a chance to eat in front of the church ever again, so enjoy it, bro. Anybody want some? Come help yourselves. This is really good, by the way. Dan, ain't nobody want to join you, my brother. <laughs> can you guys just stay here for two seconds? Dan, you can stay right there. Just stay there. You guys can go and enjoy just now. Don't worry about it. No knives and forks. What do I look like, bro? I'm not a restaurant. Let's go. Ooh, yeah. So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Tula, and uh, I have the privilege of being on staff here and uh, serving on the leadership team together with some men and women. Um, <clears throat> oh, Hello. Dave, no comments from the peanut gallery, please. I don't quite know how this was going to go, but I think it's worked out pretty well. Daniel, how's your food? It's pretty dry. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, for those of you that don't know, just got like some crackers, because I'll explain that just now. And you got some warm water, which is delightful. How's your guys' food? Are you enjoying it? Good. Nice. I know you didn't have breakfast this morning, so go for it. <clears throat> but I wonder if you can imagine with me. You and I give our lives to Jesus, and uh, the moment that we do that, the moment that we surrender our lives, our wills, our time, our finances, everything that he calls us to bow and bring at the cross, this is what happens. He's got this spread, this delicious food. Well, delicious for some of us, not for the rest of us. But um, he's got this delicious, lavish spread for you and for me. But sometimes what can happen is that as believers, we've got this amazing meal, and these brothers are chowing away. But we can be like Daniel here. Now, ordinarily, I'd say do the things that Daniel does because he sets a really good example. But in this case, this is not what you want to do. But this is what we do as believers at times where God's saying, I brought you into salvation. I've got this amazing meal, but this is where we can stop. And so as I begin, I want to say that Jesus is inviting us to the table. And this table represents the grand adventure that is the gospel life. It is an ever unfolding narrative of his great redemption story in every single one of us are invited. Jesus says, I've reserved a table for all of those who are mine and who have bowed their knee before me. And at this table, there is a lavish spread for you. There's all of this amazing food, but unfortunately not all believers get to experience this lavish food, as you can see. Jesus says, I've prepared all of this for you. I've come down from heaven. I've confined myself in the flesh. 
I walked a road that led me to giving up my very life. I was in the grave, but I defeated death. I am no longer there. I'm seated on high with the Father. I'm ruling and I'm reigning, and we are steadily bringing all things to the end of the ages, the consummation of the ages. And I will come back for my bride, those that are mine. And Red Point, this year, the thing that I felt God calling us to is to be a community of saints that will partake in the fullness of everything that God has got for us. You guys can sit down, and you can take some food if you'd like, Daniel. And so this morning, church, what I want to do is I want to look at Acts 42, uh, 2, verse 42, which is a scripture that we know well, but what's pretty much has happened here, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, and he said to his disciples, he says, I want you to go to the upper room and I want you to pray. I want you to wait and pray, wait and pray for the Holy Spirit to come in because he's going to empower you to live the life that I've called you to live. And so this group of guys go, there's 120 of them, they're gathered in a room and they're calling out, seconds, minutes, hours, days, nights, they're calling out to the Father. They're calling out saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and presence yourself amongst us like Lysias prayed so eloquently this morning. Calling out for the presence and the empowering of the Spirit. The Spirit breaks out, they're all having a jaw, and the next thing, Peter rises up. Peter, who just had made some blunders and some mistakes not so long ago, but he rises up now and he begins to preach this incredible message. And what we see is this great multitude of believers who put up their hand and they say, man, we want to be a part and involved in the things that you are doing. What is Jesus calling you to? What has he said to you? And we've heard those words and now we wanna receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And from there, we've got this amazing community that forms, this amazing community that loves one another, serves one another. They provide for each other's needs. They pray for one another. They're walking this faith journey alongside one another. It's an amazing community. I'm sure you guys would agree. Historians tell us that from the time that these 120 were in the room till about 200 years later, give and take, Christianity or those that confess Jesus grew from 120 to 30 million. That is an amazing growth, 30 million. It started with 120, or Jesus' 12 disciples, 120, 3,000, and then all of a sudden, 200 years later, you've got this multitude, 30 million believers that are confessing the name of Jesus. How does the truth of Jesus manifest in such a compelling way that simply by word of mouth and the testimony of their lives, so many have come to Jesus? It was simple. It wasn't complicated. Me, I'm standard grade, so I need things to be explained to me. It's very simple. They heard the words. They, they, they heard testimony of who this Jesus was, and they went, and they lived out those things. And so between Peter getting up and preaching this amazing message that got a whole bunch of people saved, and this amazing community, which is what we want to look at this morning, this amazing community, what should we look like as a community of believers? In between those two events are these three words, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Scripture doesn't tell us that they ran a course and said, as a believer, this is what you're not to do. They didn't run a foundations course and all of those things are good, saying, you must commit to this, you must do that. They didn't do any of that. But what we see is men and women who obviously have been cut to the heart by what was preached and something has happened inside of them that their lives are changed forever. Their believing has moved them to action. It wasn't just about hearing a whole bunch of words, but it was actually I've heard and their believing moves them to take steps in order to live lives that look like Jesus. Sometimes what happens when we get saved, as I try to explain, is we can be like Daniel. You can come to church and we commend you for that and we should come to church, but sometimes that's where we stop. Well, I'm just happy with going to church. 
Or maybe every now and then you're like, oh, the church needs some money or whatever. They need a generator, so you give a little bit of money. And you're like, cool, I've done what I've needed to do. But you carry on living your life. You carry on making your own decisions. You live independently of the word of your leaders, all of those things. And if, as believers, is, that's what we do, then you're like Daniel this morning. And it might be a bit of a hard word to receive, but that's the honest truth is that you have deprived yourself of living in the fullness and experiencing absolutely everything that Jesus died for you for. We can be like Daniel and just be happy with our lukewarm water and our crackers. And so let's go to Acts 2, verse 42, and see what this early church did. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together, sorry, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that an amazing text? Isn't that a sort of community that you want to belong to? Well, one or two of us, clearly, which is a bit sad. But guys, this is a picture for you and I to emulate. This is, we're meant to read this and go, Lord, if this is in the scriptures for my sake and for our sake, then surely this is the sort of community that you had in mind. One of the things I love about this text is that it doesn't use language of duty. It doesn't say you have to go to church. It doesn't say you have to tithe. It doesn't say you have to do all of these things. But what I think these people heard was they heard the privilege it is to gather in a community like this. What they would have heard is the community to be generous to one another, to give their finances, to give their times, to open up their homes, to lend a donkey to somebody that's got need or a caravan or whatever it is. That it was a privilege to be able to do those things. It wasn't, oh, the pastor says I must come to prayer meeting or Daniel. No, we have the privilege of praying together. And it was so good on Thursday to see so many of you that came to pray. And I wanna encourage you this year, if you've never come to our prayer meetings, why don't you come and pray with us? Because what I wanna do this morning is I just wanna look at the scriptures and go, what is the community of Jesus meant to look like? And I wanna encourage us to do that. These are not my words. I'm not trying to put things on you. I'm not trying to be religious, but I'm looking at the text and going, what does the text say? That's what we wanna do. And that's how we want to live our lives. And so if devotion is the key to these people, their lives change because they devote to themselves. Well, what does devotion mean? It's the act of dedicating something to a cause. It's loyalty or enthusiasm for a person or activity. And I love this one. It stresses zeal and service amounting to self-dedication. I love that. You can imagine as Peter is filled with the Spirit, he gets up and he must, must have preached an amazing sermon for 3,000 people to get saved. He must have preached with absolute zeal in everything that was within him in order that these people responded like they did. And then what you see is that after a little while, the church gets persecuted and it's these same believers, these 3,000 people that have come from Rome, some from Asia, some from the tip of Africa, they go back to their homes and it's through them that the gospel spreads. It's not the apostles, it's not the big wigs because we like to celebrate those people, no. It's everyday men and women that were in Jerusalem gathering, they receive the word and they go out and zealously preach and that is how you got 30 million people saved in 200, uh, 2000, 200 years. That is an amazing thing. The zeal of the Lord consumed them. 
And so this group of new believers took responsibility for their faith. Yes, Peter would have told them the stories of, that Jesus had told them and all of these things encouraged them, but they actually took responsibility. Would you this year take responsibility for your faith? We as leaders and as pastors, yes, we will preach, we'll teach the word, we do the things, your life group leaders will open the word, but actually it's so good that you and I take responsibility because when we get before Jesus one day, he's not gonna say, Shame, what did Francois teach you? What did this person teach you? What did you do with what I gave you? You and I have to give an account for the way that we have lived our lives. And so can we take responsibility of our faith? And so what is it that they gave themselves to? The first thing is the apostles' teaching. Basically, they gave themselves to hearing what the word of God was saying to them. They dedicated themselves to both hearing the word and following the way of Jesus. I think sometimes we're so good and I'm so stoked that you guys are here, that you're here to hear the word of God. So tick, you've done that. But where I think we fail is that we fail to then take the word that we've received and put it into action and do what it says. And so often I'm amazed at the things that people say and do because I'm like, well, we read the same Bible. How did you come to that conclusion? People making decisions, doing whatever it is that they want by said, but that's not the way of Scripture. And so this morning we want to look at Scripture and find and take our cue from what the Scripture tells us. It's like this. It's like a parent going to a child, going, Susan, your room is looking a little bit messy. Can I ask you to go and put away your toys and put away this and put away that in order that your room might look clean? Most of the parents are going, yes. And Susan goes and spends a little time, does whatever. The dad comes back and says, Susan, have you cleaned your room? She goes, you know what, dad? I sat and I thought about what you said. It was so good. It was like transforming me from the inside out. I ruminated on it. What does he mean? It was an amazing statement. And I sat for an hour pondering what you had said to me. And I can agree that it was a good statement. So much so that I've decided to call some of my friends and we're gonna pull out the Greek and uh, the Hebrew and we're gonna study this thing that you told us to do. Go and clean your room. I'm gonna memorize it and we're just gonna have a ball of a time, tea and coffee, and we're gonna learn the Hebrew and the Greek of what it means to go and clean your room. As parents, you'd go, don't be stupid and silly. Give your kid a clap on the head, maybe, maybe not, and go and clean your room. That's what you would say. Parents, yes? Praise Jesus. Thank you, Dave, one parent. But that's what you would do. You don't wanna hear that your child is going to learn the meaning and the Greek and this, that. No, what you want them to do is to listen to what you've said and to do the thing that you've asked them to do. And I think as believers, we're so good at that one part. We can listen, we can hear, we can read. There's so much information that's available to all of us through podcasts. We've probably got more information now than at any other stage um, in humanity. But it astounds me how all of that information does not lead to transformation. And the problem is, is because there's no application. We come, we raise our hands, we do all the things, we go home and our lives do not change. And this year, would we allow the word of God not only to come in us, but to um, transform our lives and that we would go take the word and we would go and apply it. The early church was passionate in their pursuit, not only to learn what it meant to be a believer, but to apply the things that they had learned. See, they didn't have the luxury and the apathy, um, they didn't have the luxury of being apathetic when it came to the words of Jesus. Most of them had come there for a celebration and they were going back home. They were not gonna be there always. And so they wanted to sit, whether it took an hour or two hours, they wanted to sit at the apostles' feet and get as much of Jesus into them because they knew they might not meet another believer for who knows how long. They might be the only person that is saved in their town or in their city, but they would take the responsibility. They would take the message that they'd heard and they would go and change the cities and the towns where they came. 
They would go and change their neighborhoods and their workspaces. Everywhere they went, they went carrying the gospel. The onus was on them. They are the sort of people that were hungry for more. Going to church on a Sunday only was not an option for them. It was not enough. And as the gospel story unfolds through the book of Acts beautifully, there's a certain occasion Paul's gotten saved and he's busy preaching and a man, Eutychus, is sitting by a window and he falls out. He falls asleep, he's talking too long. Anyway. But he falls out of the window and Paul stops, he goes, they bring him back to life and Paul just carries on going anywhere. He was gonna preach till about midnight and then carry on, but he preaches the whole night. And I can imagine you, some of you are probably thinking, the whole night, sure, that's long, eh? Yeah, be honest, some of you are probably thinking that. But what you don't find in the scriptures, the guy's going, oh, Paul, you've had your 40 minutes, eh? Don't you know I've got to put the kids down? If I don't put the kids down at a certain time, they're going to be like devil children the next day. Yes? Yeah, it's the truth I've heard. Um, I've got a big project that I need to do. My professor's going to chew me if I don't get my project done in time. Or I've got a work project that I desperately need to get to. That's not the language that you see here. But they are glued to the apostle's word. Why? Because something has happened. They've received this Jesus and they're looking and they're going, my life cannot be the same. I cannot just go about day by day the way that I used to. Something has come inside that has changed my priorities and the things that I want to give my life to. The gospel that they had heard was so compelling that it was worth them saying no. You can imagine some of their spouses or some of the kids that come back the next morning, they're like, dude, where were you? The kids were running a mayhem, a mock, and this was happening, and then they would begin to tell the stories, and all of a sudden, they'd forget about the kids and all of the homework and all the things, and they would have probably sat around the table to hear anxiously, who is this Jesus? Tell me more about this Jesus that you sat all night listening to this man, Paul, preaching about Jesus. Their lives have been changed. And we are people who will savor the words of Jesus and the words in this book. There are many who would love to have the privilege of having not one, not two, most of us have probably got three or four different Bibles in our cabinets and on our phones. There are so many people around the world who do not even have a single page of the Bible and they would love to have it. But how do you and I treat the Word? Do we take time to learn, to, to get into the Word? I love uh, Psalm 1 verse 2, I think it is. It says, and his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night just want to meditate on the word. I cannot get enough. Wherever it is that I'm going, I want to meditate on the word of the Lord. You see, this book is like no other book and it's on a class of its own. It cannot be compared to any other piece of literature. It cannot be rivaled. It's been passed on from generation to generation, sometimes a little tattered, sometimes a little torn, but it has stood the test of time. Many have given not only finances and their time, but they've given their very lives in order to see this book preserved and impact the society in which they live. Thinkers and philosophers have tried to disprove it. Kings and rulers have ignored its instruction and the wisdom that it offers. Some have tried to twist and distort its meaning, and others say it has absolutely no bearing on our society in this day and age. But I argue this, friends, is that this word is living and active. This word is living and active. It is transforming the lives of broken men and women all around the world and bringing salvation to those that are far from Jesus. It is guiding those who seek its leading. It's nourishing the hearts of those who right now are being persecuted for the name of our Jesus. It is providing light in very dark situations and courage for the weary believer. If that is you, would you go to the word this year? And so as you and I look through the year to be devoted followers of Jesus, would we devote ourselves to being in the word this year? 
to not only reading it, to not only being, me- to being able to memorize it, which is a good thing, but that you and I will put into effect the things that we read. Whew. It's very hot here. Are you all still good? Anybody want some food? No, I'm kidding. No, please don't come up. I want to say this, friends, and I say this as lovingly as I can, is that if you come to church two minutes before it starts and you shoot out directly afterwards, you're being like Daniel. You are not living in the fullness of what God has called you to. And I want to ask you, I want to encourage you, would you stay? Would you fellowship? Would you form part of this community? As Daniel was going through all his notes, I thought these are all good community things. Would we give ourselves this year to the word? The second thing, and I must go quickly, is fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which is just shared life together. That's all that that word means. And in verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together. All who believed were together. It wasn't just some select few. It wasn't the chosen frozen. It wasn't the main oaks. It wasn't the extroverts who just loved being with people while the introverts played solitaire at home. No, it was all who believed. So the 3,000 of them that gave their life, they're saying, when we are the ones that believe and we want to be together. Hebrews 10.25 encourages us to not forsake the gathering of the saints. And the sad thing is that around the world, even especially after COVID, so many people do not want to come back to their local churches. They're happy just looking online. There's no reason for them to be online, but they're just watching the sermons online. Or maybe they've gotten hurt, they've been disillusioned by the church, and they've decided they're just going, actually, no, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the community. But that's not what we see in Scripture. You don't see any believers in Scripture walking alone. For once, Liverpool have got it right. As a believer, you should never walk alone. Forgive me, Man United supporters. But that's the honest truth, is you and I were never created to walk alone. Right from the beginning of time, before any of this that we see before of us, before any of it was, was came to being, we saw the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect fellowship. You and I weren't created because they were bored and didn't have anything better to do. Some would say out of the enjoyment of the fellowship, they decided to create mankind to pass on in order that they would have fellowship with you and with me. And so fellowship goes all the way through. You look at Jesus picking his disciples at times. There were two guys on a boat doing their things, but you'll see Matthew who was by himself in a, in a tax collecting booth, and he says, come and follow me. And so he calls all of these different individuals, but when it comes time to making disciples, what does he do? He puts them together in a community, a very unlikely community. You've got somebody like Peter who was this rough and tough fisherman, maybe having tattoos if they had such a thing in that day, probably had to watch his mouth because that was always getting in trouble for doing silly things. Then you've got um, Simon, who is a zealot, and that oak just wants to overrule the, the Roman government. He's like, I'm tired of these oaks. You can imagine them having little secret meetings. Okay, we're going to bomb this place. We're going to do all of these things. Then you've got Judas, who you know is a bad oak, that oak. He just loves money. And you, so you've got this group of, of, of believers or people that would never otherwise come together were outside of Jesus. And I think Jesus does certain things in Scripture to be an example for you and for me. And so I know that in Redpoint, I'm so glad that there are this group of believers, people from different ethnicities, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with different levels of education, people with different skills, people with different gifts. But God has put us here and joined us together to be a community. Would we live out being a community according to what we see in the scriptures? 
Community is both a beautiful thing and it's the way that God chooses to work in you and in me and to beautify us and we rub against one another. But I know the community can be hard as well because the very people in the room might be the very people that will call you to an account. If you've made a city decision or you've done something, they might call you out on that and say, actually, that's not the way of Jesus. But the idea is that we're doing all of those things in love to encourage and spur one another to love and to good deed. This is why we encourage you. We say, don't run off at the end of the service. Stay, fellowship, buy somebody a coffee or an iced coffee on a day like this. We encourage you to belong to a life group. I think we should have way more life groups than we have at the moment. Way more life groups. Because if the word expanded and expounded and, 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 and went from just from Jerusalem all the way up, all the way across to the known world at that time, it went because people devoted themselves to gathering in each other's homes every single day. And so life groups are vitally important to this community. And so can I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, can I ask you to walk out those doors, not now, when we're done, walk out those doors, look on the right, and there are many people that are in both Westville, Kloof, wherever it is that you live, and you'll find a community group that is close to you. And would you commit this year, 2024, to doing life with men and women that are in this room? I was thinking about as I was reading through all of this, I, I thought to myself, sometimes we want the result of scriptures. So we want the 3,000 saved or we want the 30 million in 200 years or whatever it is. But sometimes we don't want to put in the effort and the work that's needed to get to that result. And so we want to go from here to there. But Jesus is saying there's, there's a part that you need to play in order to see that come to light. The scripture says people were being added daily. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? To see people added daily. Like we would look, we'd have to have four different services. The worship team would probably cry because I'd make them work very hard, but it's fine. But can you imagine this community full with people? Not because we want numbers here. No, 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 because we want to make disciples. Because we know that Christ has left us on this earth with a mission in mind. And you and I to go to the uttermost parts, beginning with our neighbors, and go and preach the word of Jesus and bring light and life to those that are around us and living in darkness. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says this. This is Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke back in Jesus' time was a set of teachings. And so Jesus is saying, take my teachings upon you and learn from me. The message puts it this way. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How many of you want to live freely and lightly? Very few, shame. The rest of you like hard lives, eh? Guys, I wanna live in that space. So what is the encouragement? Learn from him. What are the things that Jesus prioritized? What are the things that the apostles and the disciples have passed down from generation to generation? I wanna give myself to living in that way. Anyway, I need to... The next thing that they devoted themselves was to the breaking of bread. And theologians or some of the, of the writers will say, well, what it means is sharing a meal together. And I guess there's that. Some of them will say, no, no, it's particularly breaking the bread itself and drinking the wine, which is, there's also room for that. But I don't want to comment on that. But I think every time they partook of the meal and remembered what Jesus did, their homes became places of remembrance. As they took a moment to remember the reason why they're here, they took a moment to remember this great salvation, Jesus giving his very life, giving absolutely everything in order that we would be rectified and renewed with the Father again. 
I often say the one way to stop complaining and looking at all the wrong that's in the world is have an, an, a posture of thanksgiving. And I think every time we break the bread and we drink the cup, I trust that our hearts are sobered at the sacrifice that Jesus prayed for every one of us and that that should lead us to worship and to praise and to thanksgiving. It's what happens when we break bread in our homes. I remember one pastor explaining communion like this. He says, there is a symbiotic relationship. Symbiotic just means you can't have one without the other. He says, there's a symbiotic relationship between grace, the grace of God, which is salvation, and worship. It's like breathing. You can't breathe out unless you breathe in. And you can't breathe in unless you breathe out. And it's that exact same way with the grace of God, salvation for you and I, and with worship that we give to our Father. And so communion is not just a thing that we do. Yes, it is a sacrament. It's not just something that we are, let's just break bread and just, no, 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 actually there is weight behind what we do. It is a moment for us to stop and reflect at the sacrifice of Jesus and remember the price that God paid in sending his son to die on our behalf. And so as you and I bring our praise and we bring our worship, that's what we breathe out because the King of Kings, the one who holds and sustains all things by the power of his word came down from heaven's throne by way of the cross to reconcile you and I to the Father. That is the grace of the Father being poured out to you and to me. That's what we do when we gather. We remember the grace that we've received and in response, we are giving back worship because of what he has done for us. Hebrews 8, there's a particular verse in there that has these seven words, which is what we do when we, take, when we break bread. We remember these words, your sin I will remember no more. Your sin I will remember no more. And so these believers gave themselves every single day. They met in each other's homes and they broke bread together. These believers gave themselves to remembering that their sins the Father will remember no more. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You're hearing me speak about Jesus or you've seen people worshiping and all of these things and you're wondering what it's all about. It's because he gave his very life for me. And so I wanna give absolutely all that I am. I wanna surrender all of that to Jesus. See, the devil is so good at putting a mirror in front of our faces and going, yeah, but you did this and you did that. Look how you responded. That's not the way of Jesus. And he puts this stuff in our face all the time. But when you and I gather to break bread, we remember those words, your sins I will remember no more. The other thing they gave themselves to is to pray. Pray just in simple terms, it's just talking to the Father. Can we go to Luke 6 verse 12? Going the wrong way. Luke 6 verse 12. It says this, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called the disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named uh, Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, all of those cronies. And so you would think that Jesus, having been with the Father since before time, he'll be with the Father. I mean, those two know each other pretty well. But even Jesus, by way of modeling to you and to me, he spends time, he takes time all night. Jesus has been ministering, doing all of these things, but he goes and he says, I must spend time with my father. I'm not gonna just choose a bunch of apostles. I've got some pretty decent guys, but I wanna ask my father, Father, who is it that should be a disciple? Who is it that I should bring in close to me in order to pass on what I've learned, in order that they might go on and do the same? 
And so whether you're making a decision to buy a vehicle, buy a car, move, whatever the story is, I trust that we are a people that are very prayerful before making decisions in our lives. Scripture is full of instruction about prayer. James 5 verse 16 says, pray that you may be healed. If anybody's sick, I trust that somebody has prayed for you. 1 Thessalonians 5 17 says, pray without ceasing. Always, we're always praying. Like even when I'm driving down in my car coming to work, I just wanna be in an atmosphere of prayer. As I'm going about my pick and pay, doing my shopping, getting whatever I need, I wanna be a person that's always praying. Luke twenty two forty 40 says, pray that you do not enter into temptation. I think we should be praying that probably every hour. Pray that you do not enter into temptation. Luke 18, 1, pray always and do not lose heart. If you are losing heart this morning for whatever situation, won't you pray? Luke 6, 28, pray for those who abuse you. When people treat you badly, I trust that we are praying for them because that's what the scripture instructs us to do. John 16, verse 24 says, pray that your joy may be complete. Early on in that text, Jesus is saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to pray. I want you to partition, uh, to partition, to petition me. He's inviting us into that story of bringing our prayers, bringing our needs. Yes, he knows them, but he says to us, I want you to come with your prayers to me. And I want you to come in order that your joy may be fulfilled. Sometimes we go to all sorts of manner of things to try and find joy. Our joy will never be complete unless we find it in Jesus. If you want true joy this year, not, your circumstances might not necessarily change, but the joy of the Father can come and help you to soar through those moments, even though they may be difficult. Jesus says, come and ask of me. We pray because it is simply a staggering, awesome privilege. It is simply a staggering, awesome privilege. If you think of God who sits enthroned, ruling and reigning at this time, running the world, Beyonce would have you believe that it's the girls, it's not the girls. It's God who runs the world. Don't worry, young people, Jack, don't worry about it. But it's God who runs the world. He runs it with infinite wisdom. You and I will never inform him of anything that he doesn't already know. You and I will never add to him, never add to his wisdom. When we pray, we do not improve on his wisdom or what he should do next. It's not twisting God's arm. No one has ever counseled him, gave him anything that he didn't already own. We are not obliging God to act out of his need for us. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our prayers. It's simply stating that the God, the ruler of the universe, would ordain that our prayers could cause things to change that would not happen unless we prayed. Romans 11, verse 34. I'll read from 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. That is the God that you and I have the privilege of praying to. That is why we will go week in, week out. We'll invite you, come to pray. Come to pray. Pray at home. Pray in the car. Gather your kids. Gather your friends, your colleagues in the workspace. 
pray, 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 because you and I have the amazing, immense privilege of communing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 46 ends, it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Every individual in this community, whether they had little or they had a lot, scripture says that they were thankful. When you and I accept not only the invitation to the table of salvation, but live life enjoying the fullness of all that Christ has for us, we too can live and respond in the same way, receiving our food with glad and generous hearts, which turns into worship, the breathing out because of the grace that you and I have received. Can I ask us to stand? Mano in the band, please. Can I ask us just to close our eyes for a moment? I just want to say a prayer over us as we land the meeting and respond. People say that we generally only have one message that we preach. We just find many different forms to preach it. But I think one of my messages, the things that I carry, is to see the body of Christ fully established, every believer doing the things that God has called them to do, living in the fullness of all that God has called you to, not being like Daniel, who's just happy with some crackers and some water. But Jesus is saying, I've got all of this for you. Would you enter in? Would you take a hold of all of that that I've got for you? So can we close our eyes as I pray this over us? Heavenly Father, thank you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that you knew me before my mother conceived me. Thank you that you know all about me and that there is nothing hidden from you about which you do not know. Lord, I desire to dedicate all that I am to you, to live my life in humble submission, looking to Jesus, trusting your word and obeying your commandments. Lord, I want to live by faith and not by sight. I want to walk in spirit and in truth to your praise and glory, not simply to satisfy my own personal wants and wishes. Give me grace to live a life that is well-pleasing to you. And may I become a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Search my heart, I pray, for any areas that are not pleasing to you and help me in the power of your Holy Spirit to be holy, for you are holy. Jesus, that is my prayer for us as a community this morning those that are set apart, those who have received you as their Lord and Savior. I wanna pray for any individual this morning that like Daniel has thought, man, that is the fullness of Christianity. That is the fullness of the faith. They, have, they had absolutely no idea. And I pray this morning that they would put down their crackers and partake of the lavish meal that you've prepared for them. Lord, I wanna pray for those that maybe don't know who you are been wandering around in the dark, trying to make their own way, trying to live their own life. But I thank you that this morning you are drawing and you are inviting them to this table. You are inviting them to salvation. You are inviting them to commune with the Almighty God. 
So Jesus, I thank you that you are reaching out to them. And I would encourage you to say, Jesus, here I am. I would encourage you to surrender your life. If you need to talk to some, there's elders in the front at the end of the message, but we're gonna go out in a song, a song of response, saying, Lord, we don't wanna be a people that just hear the words, but we long to be a people that put into practice that which we find in your word. Amen.